CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, Ashes Actions fan. We've got a big show on deck. Here's what's coming up. Coming up tonight... Mysteriously, the consumer discretionary sector has been failing to keep up with the broader market rally. Carter Worth could solve the mystery. Then, TLT, as in bonds. And that strange sensation? That's Dan Nathan's bullish call. He'll explain. Plus, if you're worried about the tech giant's results next week, Mike Coe is a place to run. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts now. Before we dive into the show, we've got some breaking news on Boeing and American Airlines. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with more. Phil. And Melissa, we have a new date when American Airlines will be returning the 737 MAX. Remember, it was January 16th. They have now pushed it all the way back to March 5th. This comes just a couple of hours after Southwest says it is also pushing back the return of the MAX until March 7th. So once again, we are seeing airlines delaying when they expect to fly this plane again. Melissa, back to you. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau with the latest on American Airlines. While the markets may be sitting at record highs, one sector is showing some signs of weakness. Take a look at the XLY, consumer discretionary ETF, posting double-digit gains this year, but still lagging behind the broader market. And get this, more than half of the stocks in the sector are now sitting in correction territory. Our chart master, Carter Worth, says there could be even more trouble ahead. So, Carter, why don't you head on over to the plaza? Break it down for us. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an instance of, uh, well, not acting well. To be fair, Amazon is a full third of the weight of the sector, and Amazon itself is not acting well, and that has a bit of autocorrelation for the sector overall, but let's try to figure it out. 64 stocks in total, 2.8 trillion, and those 64 stocks represent roughly 10% of the S&P. Let's look at some charts. So what I have here to start first is the list of those top five names. You can see them there, and there is what I'm referring to, Amazon being such a big weight. That being said, it, it is still a sub-industry or a sub-sector as determined by Standard & Poor's, and it does not act well, and you'll see that in a few uh, instances here. There's the sector itself, XLY, and here is the relative performance to the S&P. And what we know, of course, is even as it is appreciating, it is underperforming and basically at or near uh, 52-week lows in terms of uh, opportunity cost or alpha. So, another way to draw, exact same chart, and what we have here, and you can see it very clearly, is we have consistently come to life off this line, and now we have broken below uh, that relative line, and I think what's going to happen ultimately is that we break on an absolute basis as well. One more chart, no drawings, no lines, I think you can draw it this way, a lot of tension here, my hunch is this is going to get resolved that way rather than up. And note, it hasn't made a high since July as the stock market makes more and more highs. Hmm. Poor performer. All right. Well, as Carter Mosey's on back to the desk, Mike, what's your trade? Yeah, so XOYZ, as he was pointing out, obviously there's a handful of stocks that basically represent an outsized portion of the consumer discretionary sector index and the ETF that tracks it, uh, XLY, namely Amazon. Now, Amazon, obviously we're coming into a hot season for Amazon. Home Depot is a name I like. Starbucks is a name that I like. 
Uh, McDonald's obviously had some idiosyncratic stuff going on this week. But in general, these are names that I like. But overall, we can see that the market does not particularly like them. So I was taking a look at putting on a put spread in the name. Now, normally when I look at put spreads, one of the reasons we do that is because options prices might be elevated. They're actually not in the case of XOI. Right now, the three-month at-the-money implied volatility is about 14.5%, which by itself doesn't really tell you much, but the longer-term average for that number is about 16.2, so it's actually below. But XOY, because it represents an index, there isn't the opportunity really for big price jumps to the downside, and that's one of the reasons why I think using a put spread still makes sense. I was looking out to January, the 121 113 put spread. That's an $8 put spread. You could buy the higher strike put for $3, sell the lower strike one for one. That's $2, 25% of the distance between the strikes. So we're taking what are relatively low cost options as it currently stands and making them even lower. You know, one of the things we have to recognize is that the market has actually been behaving lately with very low realized volatility. It just seems like each and every day if we have any kind of a price jump, it seems strangely enough to be to the upside. I was talking to Guy about this right before the show. We've Over the course of the last month, we've had eight days where we've actually gapped higher on the open. I just find this is an extraordinary period in the market when I take a look at it. But I think if you're going to make a bearish bet, this is the way you'd probably want to do it. Yeah, I, what I think is really interesting about the XLI, Mike just said that the option prices are trading well below the average over the last you know year or so. And what's interesting when you think about those names that Carter put up there that make up maybe 40% of the weight, it's Amazon, Home Depot, and then there's McDonald's. And what's interesting about McDonald's is we've just seen McDonald's roll over. That was a stock trading at a premium multiple, um, expensive to its peers and to the market, and it sold off 15% from those highs. Home Depot could set up like that. They could report a good print and start to sell off a little bit. And Amazon, like you said, is, what, 10% at least below its highs. Mm -hmm. If you want to play that in consumer discretionary, the XLA is the best way to do it. And Mike's spread where he's paying quarter of the width is a great way to do it between now and January. I mean, think about it. When a stock sells off, it doesn't have to be for any other reason than people decide to stop buying, meaning McDonald's is a 5% grower. That's all it's ever going to do, but yet it drops 15%. Starbucks lost 20% of its value. Did anything really change? The point is, valuation is not a timing tool, and it's fickle. And just uh, as Dan implies, that can happen to Home Depot in one second. Um, there's risk here. You know, here's something else to think about, okay? So XLY closed the day just above 121. That's the strike of the put that we're buying and we're spending $2. So the downside break even for this trade is 119, down $2.34 on a $120 instrument from where we closed today. That's essentially 2%. This thing would have to move down 2% between now and the third Friday in January for this thing to be essentially past its break-even point. What is the probability of that? I think that's one of the really amazing things in the options market right now is it is remarkably complacent. I mean, it's basically telling us, oh, there's almost no risk of this happening. Well, I happen to disagree with that. Does that make you suspicious? It does, well, <laughs> it does make me suspicious. I mean, I, it's, but I will say this. Look, I, you know, I, we were also talking about this. Uh, you know, I have some SPX put spreads on. I put a couple more NDX put spreads on. Close a business today, about the last 30 minutes of trading. But, you know, I am fighting the tape. So I'm, I'm willing to admit that, you know, when you can have a period where the market is basically tracking higher, and we've had periods much longer than the one we're already in, where the market has steadily marched from the lower left to the upper right, and it may continue to do that. But I'm a little anxious, admittedly. 
Right, I mean, then things overshoot. Think about where we were in December. What was the reason to have a 27% collapse in the Russell 2000 from October to December, or the S&P dropping almost 20? You can overshoot to the downside, and to your point, yes, you could tick higher. But at some point, the extremes are reconciled. All right, moving on here. While the consumer trade may start to crumble, bonds are having a breakdown. Treasury yields soaring this week, nearing 2% for the first time since July, on the back of a potential deal between the U.S. and China to roll back tariffs. That sent bond prices tumbling to their lowest levels in more than two months. But if you think the yield yo-yo has come too far too fast, Stan's got a way to play the bond bounce on the chief. What do you think? Yeah, so let's look at the the iShares, the TLT, the iShares 20-year U.S. Treasury uh, ETF. And this one is really interesting because we were just talking about implied volatility, the price of options. It's generally pretty cheap in an instrument like this. But we've seen a lot of volatility in interest rates. And I think the big story this week on Wall Street was that move up in yields. We saw the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield bounce really right back to that breakdown level. And I think that breakdown level is really important there, just below 2%, because that's when um, the, uh, the Fed just cut interest rates for the first time. It was July 31st in 10 years. And then we saw that move lower. And part of that move lower down to 145 in the 10-year Treasury yield had to do with concerns about global growth, concerns about trade. And all those issues, include throw Brexit in there, they seem to have abated in the last few weeks. And now we've had this move back in rates. And if you're watching Carter's um, chart work before, he thinks that obviously we might see some resistance there. Maybe they get to 220, 221, whatever it takes. I don't know. I think you could be a seller there. But then let's go look at that TLT. This is the instrument in which I would play a rate um, decline here because I'd look to benefit from bonds going higher. Look at that intersection between the breakout level from the summer at 135 in the TLT and the uptrend that had been in place since the December lows. We got there today, 135. That was the level here. If you are thinking about about being contrarian and saying, you know what, I think rates have kind of gone too far too fast, and I want to look into 2020, where everybody is really positioned bullishly here now with a lot of complacency, as you just mentioned. This is a great contrarian trade, largely because the price of options, that chart right there. Now, you see there's an uptrend there, and they're much higher than they were earlier in the year. But when the prices of options and the TLT go up, it's been this year they've been going up when the TLT's been going up, which is obviously contrary. Oftentimes, you see when stocks are going down, you see implied volatility, people reaching for the options go up. It's been the opposite here. So to me, Prices look relatively cheap. I want to spread this thing out. I want to look at the March expiration. When the TLT was trading at 135 today, you could buy the March 135, 150 call spread paying $3.50, buying one of the March 135 at the money calls for 4 bucks, selling one of the March 150 calls at $0.50. Cents. That costs you $3.50. That is your max risk. 2.5% of the ETF price breaks even at 138.50 up 2.5% on March expiration, and you can make up to 11.50 between 138.5 and 150. 1.50, why am I targeting that? Mike's going to say, why are you selling that call? That was basically the high earlier this year. I just like the risk-reward of this trade, risking 350 to possibly make 11.50 over the next four months if this thing is up about 11%. I don't know you should put words in my mouth expecting <laughs> what I'm going to be saying next. It is true that when options prices are low, I'll sometimes say, you know, why are yeah. we selling that cheaper option? However, in this case, he's actually, it's not a naked option that he's selling. So it makes a very big difference. If you're selling, 
you know, a put for a dollar on a $100 stock, that's a very different situation than if you're selling that same put for a dollar, but you're buying another higher strike put for two. In this case, you're buying a call spread. The way to think about the premium you're selling is in the context of the premium that you're buying. So when we look at it that way, and I can clearly see why you'd be drawing a line in the sand at 150. That makes plenty of sense. You know, do I think it's really imperative to sell that 50 cent call? Not necessarily, but I don't see any likelihood that it's going to break right through that level either. So it's probably found money. Well, I mean, you know where I stand. We, yep. we discussed this, uh, and, it, and the charts are, are the same, whether you do the TLT or you do the actual underlying uh, bond in Chicago. But the point is, is that things do overshoot. We get collapsed. End of world at 145. Now, all of a sudden, we've gone the other way. It's come a little too far. I think you bet against it. All right. Last word, Dan? Yeah, I just think that this is an interesting setup because vol is cheap. The options look dollar cheap. If you're looking for something of a hedge in a bullish equity environment, this is about as cheap as it gets, and we have a lot of time to march expiration. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, you can check out our super cool newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, Cisco Systems out with earnings next week. Mike Coe has a systematic way to prepare for them especially if you don't think this net works. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Check out shares of Cisco, the stock lagging the rest of tech this year, up just 12% since January, down more than 16% from its 52-week highs back in July. But one of our traders is taking a look at a catch-up play for when the stock reports earnings next week. Mike is over at the plaza with a call to action. Mike. Yeah, so I'm not 100% sure whether I think about it as a catch-up play, but as a way where you can have, you know, a modestly neutral to bullish bet in a name that hasn't necessarily been behaving that well lately. Obviously, we've identified a catalyst. That's in the form of earnings. We've also probably identified one of the reasons why the stock hasn't done particularly well, and that is that Cisco happens to rely heavily on enterprise spending. You know, we've spent part of the last couple of minutes talking about discretionary spending, but enterprise spending is an area where, you know, if there's any kind of global macro uncertainty, we're likely to see weak spending. One of the things that we also see going into Catalyst is that shorter dated options tend to be somewhat expensive. We like to sell those if we can. So if we take a look at uh, the price chart in Cisco year to date, one of the things that we can clearly see is how this has grossly underperformed the market of late. I mean, this is an area, we were just taking a look at this earlier, but if you take a look at the October lows to where we are right now in the S&P alone, it's up about 7% from the lows in that first week. This obviously, even though it's had a little bit of a bounce lately, is certainly underperforming the market over a similar time frame. So the trade that we were looking at was the November-January 50 call calendar. We would be buying the longer dated January calls and then selling the November 50 calls for 55 cents. Net, net, you're spending 70 cents to put this trade on. The idea here is that you're going to profit in this region right in here. Now, I just want to talk very quickly about whether it makes sense to sell a call for 55 cents. Here's one way to think about it. This call is going to expire in two weeks. 
right now it represents about 1% of the current stock price. So if you think about selling options, sometimes a good way to think about it is how much am I collecting as a percentage of the current stock price and over what time frame. This is actually quite a lot when you consider that we're dealing with a relatively short period to expiration. Of course, you're covered by that longer dated call. If the stock lands in this region, you'll have the opportunity, potentially, to go ahead and then sell a December call against it as well. So the idea here is that we're not expecting anything too spectacular. Uh, the market's implying about a 5% move. That's in line with what the stock has typically done. But I think we also know one of the reasons why it might not be that spectacular. And the answer to that question is enterprise spending. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, so um, I like the trade idea. I think that Cardell talked to 50. There's a couple gaps in that chart over the last few months or so, and they do have to do with earnings guidance. And I think one of the reasons why the stock has underperformed was because the guidance that they gave in early August, it really kind of came out of left field. Um, so if you think that they're going to put good enough quarter up and the stock stays range-bound, this is a way to do it. And Mike could be legging into a more bullish trade as he gets by the short-dated short strike. So to me, I like it, but I also think that if you think that their guidance is about to get better, then you're going to want to own this thing on its way back to 55. I mean, I think that's just it. It is sort of range-bound, right? And sometimes range-bound persists a lot longer than is wanted or hoped for. So my hunch is that it's going to stay in the range and you won't get something quite uh, enough to make it worthwhile, but that's why you've got to do it with options rather than just sitting here and buying the stock and getting stuck in a dormant position. The most common first options trade for people who are first getting into this is they own stocks and then they will sell calls against them, or they will buy a stock and they'll sell calls against it. So that would be a buy right in this case, buying Cisco and selling that 55-cent call. Would I do that here? No, I don't think so. And the reason, of course, is that then you have that exposure to the downside, significantly greater than the 70 cents. So you're trying to essentially thread the needle here a little bit, but the idea is you're trying to get some of the favorable characteristics of that buy right or of a covered right without the you know, exposure you get if things turn out to be much more disappointing and we get something like that negative guidance. I think we've got a move of about almost 9% to the downside. 9% of a $50 stock is considerably more, 4 bucks, than the 70 cents we're spending for this. Coming up, one big unicorn just locked in some all-time lows after its lockup expiration. We'll tell you what that means for one of our traders. Plus, it is Friday. You know what that means. Tweet us your burning questions at Options Action, and you might get your answer on air. And Mad Money, we should note, big show coming your way at the top of the hour as Kramer pays tribute to our veterans. Amazing show. you got to keep it going. Mad Money drops in at 6. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at a couple of our open trades. Last week, Dan said it might be time to get long Disney ahead of the earnings and uh, the launch of the streaming service, Disney+. Plus. But I think this is a name as you head into 2020 that you want long exposure for. Once investors are able to model out what subscriber growth looks like and what the profitability of this business could look like as they get to tens of millions of subscribers, I think the stock goes higher. So today, when the stock was trading 132 and a half, you could buy the January 120, 140 risk reversal, selling one of the January 120 puts at $1.20, buying one of the January 140 calls at 220. 
Dan was wearing a tie that day. He was all business, and it was a successful trade. <laughs> Disney's up about 6% since then. So what are you doing? Yeah, I think that if you liked the idea last week, you like it more this week. The stock had a nice pop. It was above 140, I think, in the pre-market. It closed at 138-ish or so. Here's how you manage this trade. You were short a January 120 put. You cover that. You sold that at 120. It's offered at about 50 cents. You cover it, and you take that risk off the table. Now you're left long a January 140 call, and there's a lot of things you could think about doing there. You could sp- spread it. You could turn it into a vertical call spread. You could sell the January 145 call or the January 150 call, and you have basically a call spread on for free that gives you a couple months now of exposure and a pretty wide range to the upside. All right. Uh, next up, Mike laid out a way to lock in some gains until Uber's, uh, Uber's lockup expiration. You could create pressure on the stock from insider selling. You could create support from short covering. So those two things might actually mean that the stock could move less than a lot of people seem to be anticipating here. You could spend $3.10 to buy those January calls, sell the ones that expire in one week for $1.80. So that's a net outlay of $1.30. Uber has plunged about 13% since then, hitting new all-time lows along the way. So what do you do, Mike? Well, first things first, the option that we sold is now clearly worthless. Uh, actually, earlier we saw that this trade was worth about $1.20. It's now worth considerably less. But I will say that if you are inclined to be long Uber in any way, it's only via options that you're going to want to do that. I might actually look to sell some near-dated stuff against it because I don't think that things are going to turn around for this name anytime soon. What does that chart look like to yeah, you? Yeah, not, not inclined to be long. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just, is it dead? Is it well, dormant? Is it fallow? Is it? <laughs> look, you know, we've talked about it. When you come out of the gate and your first day is your best day, that's what this is. In life, that's called a stillborn. That's not good. You're making new lows here. There's something wrong. Don't do it. All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call. Welcome back. Time to take your tweets. One fan asks if it's better to buy a call in Viacom or CBS ahead of earnings next week. Mike, what do you say? I would say that the options premiums in both of those names seem kind of elevated. I'd be more inclined to use call spreads or call spread risk reversals. What do you think about these two? They're the same. They're identical. They're both so bad they're good. I'd do either one. All right. Time for the final call. Last word from the options pits, Carter Braxton Worth. Consumer discretionary is worrisome. XLY on the short side. Michael Coe. I'm also worried, but I'm looking at Cisco into earnings. Daniel. Uh, TLT, it is at a tough spot, but it's at the spot if you want to make a contrarian bullish bet. So I like playing it in March culprits. That does it for us here on Options Action. See you back here next Friday. And don't go anywhere. A very special edition uh, saluting our veterans. Bad money starts uh, right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.